Today on a surprise episode of the 1012 Podcast, I've got a New Year's resolution for Big 12 fans, plus a look at the changes going on with the Baylor football program, a conversation about NIL, both in relation to Oklahoma State and NIL in general, and why you should shop Charlie Hustle this year and next. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here as in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome to the 1012, the podcast that covers all 14 teams in the Big 12 Conference Plus Colorado, Arizona, Arizona State, and Utah. We are the flagship show for the 1012 Network. Find every podcast in the network at 1012network.com. And we are partners with Sports Social, Europe's biggest sports podcast network. I'm your host, Philip Slevin. Thank you for joining us today. Surprise! I know we said we weren't going to have another new episode. Before the end of the year, I know that's what I said, here I am, sitting here on a Thursday afternoon, just about an hour and a half before the Pop-Tart Bowl kicks off, halfway through the Big 12 Bowl season, five teams have played four games to go, and by the time you're listening to this, it's very likely that both Kansas State and Oklahoma will have played their games, and Arizona, since they are soon to be a Big 12 team. I assume most of you are going to be cheering for Arizona, hoping that they're the ones that win that game since Oklahoma is the team that is leaving. Not surprising there. I know I said I was going to be done for the year, but I just, I just couldn't. I had to hop behind the mic because I just, I've got too many notes and thoughts written down uh, to save everything until January. Just, it, it, it can't be done. Can't be done. Cannot wait that long. So here we are. Here with you today. We're going to chat. Um, I do have two interviews for you to listen to. Uh, If you missed it on our YouTube channel, uh, we spoke with the assistant director of NIL for Oklahoma State, Hanin Rashwan, about NIL. Uh, It was a really good conversation, and I I don't think enough people watch the interview on YouTube or listen to it. So we have that interview here in the back half of this episode. Uh, I also am going to do some sit downs with people who cover big 12 teams who have seen the most shakeup in the, as far as their football programs go, we're going to start with Baylor, uh, not a head coach change, but quite a few uh, changes to that coaching staff and to their roster as well. Cameron Stewart of locked on Baylor is joining us for that. So a really good conversation about Baylor, a really good conversation about NIL, not just specific to Oklahoma State, 
uh, to NIL in general. There are some Oklahoma State-specific questions when it comes to NIL and collectives, but it's more of a broad conversation about NIL, about people who actually work in it and deal with it on a regular basis. Okay, so like I said, I have a few thoughts. Um, shout out to the four Big 12 teams who have won their bowl games so far. UCF, y'all, y'all lost to Georgia Tech and essentially you're like second home away from home. You made a lot of cracks at USF about that. And then you went and, and for the third time this season blew a double digit lead. You got to work on the whole defense thing. Like offense, RJ Harvey's back. That's huge. We're going to talk more about that in January. By the time this comes out, maybe KJ Jefferson has committed to UCF. Fingers crossed. Please let that happen. And if you don't like KJ Jefferson, I don't. I don't know how to. I, I don't. I don't understand. But he'd be perfect for Gus's offense there in Orlando. Shout out to Oklahoma State with the win over Texas A&M. Shout out to Texas Tech with the win over Cal. West Virginia nine win West Virginia. Tell your kids, folks. Tell your friends. Tell your family about nine win West Virginia. And of course, Kansas with the win over UNLV in a game that should set up for a fun rematch in September. Wherever that game's supposed to be played, it's supposed to be played in Lawrence. I don't know if that stadium's going to be ready in time. They might be in Kansas City at Arrowhead. They might not. I have no idea. I'll be curious to find out where Kansas will play their football games in 2024. But that's that's not what I want to talk about. I want to start with this. I have something of a New Year's resolution for Big 12 fans. I'd like you all to adopt. And it's... Stop talking about realignment. It's just, just stop. It just, just stop. It's fine to like be interested in the news. Um, I understand there's still plenty of accounts who have built their entire everything off of realignment. I understand it still generates clicks and interest. And I understand why you were all addicted to it. I get it. I understand. Ever since. It was announced that Oklahoma and Texas were leaving. Big 12 fans have been fighting everybody everywhere when it comes to realignment. And and for good reason. I was there with you. Having to fight against the national media, talking about the Big 12 and basically calling it a G5 conference. The, the AAC may come and raid the Big 12. They may have to merge together. Yeah, we all know. Okay, I get it. I understand why we were on the defense, why we were on high alert. But it's over now. We not the Big Twelve didn't just survive. It is the victor. The Pac twelve is the conference that is no more. That's why four corner schools are joining us in July. Oregon State and Washington State have to be stuck with the Mountain West. Stanford and Cal are going to the ACC with SMU. The Big Twelve was the victor. Yes, Big Ten, SEC don't care. They're playing a different battle on a different continent than what the Big Twelve was. And so I understood why we were defensive and together. But we're past all that now. That's not what we need to talk about. That's not what we need to worry about. But all any Big 12 fan or most of them seem to want to do is speculate on which ACC teams we should poach, getting into arguments with Wake Forest fans. Like, you have gone from the the victim to the aggressor. The line, you either die a hero or live long enough to see yourself become the villain. Big 12 fans, you're becoming the villain. You are becoming the thing that you hated. I'm tired of it. We're better than that. I like to think that we are. Look, fans are short for fanatic. Be as fanatical as you want to be. But enough. You've become the bully. 
You've gone from the final girl to the killer. Enough of it. Stop weaponizing your victimhood to launch at other people because now you're no better than everybody who used to laugh at the Big 12 because Oklahoma and Texas were leaving. I get it. But it's over now. It's done. Let's move on. We have other more important things to talk about. And not to mention, it's just tiring. I don't want to talk about realignment. I don't want to have this conversation. I don't enjoy it. I waited as long as possible to start talking about it last time. Yes, I probably should do it more because it generates more clicks and downloads, but how about we just talk about the Big 12 as a conference? Hmm? How about we talk about the fact that we're going to have 16 teams, and I don't, sure, I love that, but I do love the teams that are coming in. I don't want to dream, realign, which members of the ACC could join the Big 12. Yes, I have my opinions on which teams they should add. Also, just stop being greedy. Like, we're at 16. Do you know how hard it's going to be to cover this conference anyways? Do you know how annoyed you're going to be at not getting to play certain teams? Arizona and Cincinnati have never played before. They still will not play until 2025. UCF and Iowa State fans have been ready to go at it since the UCF was announced to come to this conference. They still don't play in football until 2024. Let's just talk about the conference because that's what we need. We have to battle a new narrative and it's the same narrative, but it's presented in a different way. Now it's not about the conference is a G5 and it's not going to exist. It's going to get poached and burned to the ground and the earth will be salted. Now it's, well, the Big 12 is basically G5 conference. It's only going to get one team into the playoff. And that's only because there's going to be auto bids for the power four champs. That's the new narrative we have to battle. Hearing people say, well, the Big 12 champs is going to be a two-loss team every year. I, I, I'm hearing that comment. Yes. Kansas State won the Big 12 with multiple losses last year. Texas won with one loss this year. Well, it was Texas. The, the new teams, Baylor won it with two losses the year before that. I, I, I get it. I get it. With a 16-team conference where everyone's not playing everybody, which is what we had the two years previous, when there was a team with two losses who won the Big 12, you're going to get teams in there with zero or one loss. It's going to happen. But we have to start battling that because guess what's going to happen? And you need to be fighting that fight. You need to be pro Big 12. Because if you are not and you are a fan of West Virginia or UCF or Iowa State or Kansas State or BYU or Colorado or whoever, you need to be a fan of the Big 12. You need to cheer on the Big 12. Yeah, I know. We hate that the SEC does it. I'm not talking about riding the coattails of Alabama or Georgia to say, like, we're awesome because we're in the same conference as them. You need to cheer for the success of the Big 12 and the conference and the teams in it. Because there's going to come a point where you have a good season. You don't win the conference. And there's a chance you get left out of the playoff. Because the Big 12 hasn't been obnoxiously vocal enough about the fact that it deserves to get in there with a one or two loss runner-up. Because guess what? It is 12 teams. It's going to be tricky to get two teams in a regular basis because the Big Ten and the SEC are going to fill a bunch of those slots, whether we want them to or not. Like, I understand it's important to live in the world that we're in. And that's the reality. But we should be doing everything in our power to correct that reality and change that reality. So be pro Big 12. Infighting is fine. The mindset is not, we're going to attack you. 
is we can make fun of each other all we want, but I will be damned if you come after the rest of the Big 12. This is a conference that has caliber and quality of teams that deserve to have two into the playoff every single look. You get two teams with three losses, the Big 12 championship game, fine. Winner gets in, they're the, the last team in, whatever, don't care. But you're going to have 16 teams. The idea that the Big 12 has like three one-loss teams at the end of a season is not crazy. And potentially two of those getting left out because 10-2 and two Ole Miss is in the SEC, you think it won't happen. It sounds crazy. An undefeated Florida State just got left out of the college football playoff. An undefeated Power 5 conference champion got left out of the playoff. The narratives for that were being set early on. We have to set the narrative that the Big 12 is a conference of strength. So stop worrying about what Wake Forest's Barstool account said or whatever other ACC conference team you feel like getting into a fight with because it's going to generate clicks for your social media account. The argument needs to just be pro Big 12. That's it. That's it. I got a lot of other thoughts. Uh, we'll save some for January. Um, man, so many. I got a few ideas too. We're going to have fun. January's going to be fun. We're going to talk basketball more, football more. Uh, do me a favor, 1012network.com. Bookmark that. That's where you'll find every podcast in the show. First quarter of 2024, it's it's shopping season for the 1012 Network as we look for shows for Colorado, Arizona, Arizona State, Utah, and Iowa State. I'm working on it. I really am. Basketball, got to get ready. Softball season's almost here, and you know we love Big 12 softball here at the 1012 Podcast. We'll be covering it aggressively. I've got some ideas there. Uh, I'm going to do a way too early without doing any significant research. 2024 Big 12 football kind of contender list. That should be up. In, uh, in about a week or so. I've got a good guest lined up for that. All right. I know it's long. we got two good interviews. I hope you enjoy them. Stick around for them. Oh, one last thing before I go. Other than 1012 Network on Twitter, 1012 Pod on Instagram, and Threads, uh, please leave us a five-star review and a rating. It really does help us out, especially on iTunes. Uh, leave us anything in Spotify. Uh, go check out the YouTube channel, which is 1012 Podcast. Charlie Hustle. I could do the ad read here, and, and uh, I'm not going to today because I don't want to because this is a little bit different. What I want to do is say thank you to Charlie Hustle. Um, we've had a number of different advertisers here on the show and different people that we have partnered with and promoted. And I, I've said multiple times, I want to bring on people to advertise that pr- provide products I actually want to buy and own. And that that is absolutely true with Charlie Hustle. But more than that, we have found in Charlie Hustle a partner that loves the Big 12 the way that we do. They are pro Big 12. They love college athletics. They love the Kansas City area. They love the Midwest. They make great stuff. The shirts and sweaters, the designs are so cool. They're working on your school if they don't have it, Cincinnati. They've got Colorado. I know they're working on Arizona, Arizona State, and Utah as they'll be joining the Big 12 in July. So, my message for you is support companies that support the things that you love. You love the Big 12. You love your Big 12 team if you're listening to this. You love the Big 12 men's basketball tournament in Kansas City. You love the football championship in Arlington. You love something about the Big 12. And Charlie Hustle loves the Big 12 too. So support the people that support the things that you love. Go to charliehustle.com. They've got great sales going on through the end of the year. they got t-shirts for $24. 
Now they had a discount. It's extra 30% off of all the sales stuff. And then when those are over, our promo code 101215, T-E-N-1215, gets you 15% off all non-sale items. Go shop at Charlie Hustle. You need some new gear for you for basketball season, baseball, softball, just because you need some, your shirts are getting old. You just want a new shirt to wear around the house on a, on a lazy Saturday. And you're like, I just need a cool shirt. Hey, I'm going to visit friends. Hey, I'm moving further away from my team. I need more gear because trust me, the further you live from your school, the more you're going to want to wear stuff to represent your school. This is coming from an Oklahoma State fan who lives in Arkansas. It's going to happen. Go to charliehustle.com. Shop. Great deals going on right now. Support the people that support the things that you love. And they do. And they just want to keep doing more with the Big 12 and more for the Big 12. So go check out Charlie Hustle. We love them here at the Central Podcast. We are very excited about the relationship. We're going to continue to build with them next year. So uh, this intro went a little bit longer than I expected it to. That's okay. Had a lot of fun. If you've got thoughts, make sure to hit us up on Twitter. Our DMs are open. Instagram DMs are open. Uh, 1012podcast at gmail.com is the email address. T-E-N-1-2, word podcast. Email me. I will happily chat with anybody. I'll answer their questions to the best of my ability. I will debate and argue with you if you want. Um, it's all cool. This is the final episode of 2023. Happy New Year to everybody. We'll talk to you in the new year. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Multiple Big 12 teams going through some shakeup this offseason. Obviously, Houston, the biggest one making the change at head coach. But there's a couple of the programs we're going to talk about here in the next few weeks that are going through some turmoil. One of those being the Baylor Bears. Of course, head coach Dave Aranda retained for another season after a, I would call it, second straight disappointing year following a Big 12 championship game. Lots of changes on staff. Lots of talk about what's going on with NIL. Interesting stuff with the roster. So to break all of this down, talk about Baylor. We're well excited to have Cam Stewart of Locked On Baylor joining us today on the show. Cam, welcome to the 1012. Well, thank you for having me. Love talking a little bit more Baylor. It's always a good time. It's always a good time. I mean, it's not like Baylor's, you know, preparing for a bowl game. Uh, sure, which, we got the time. <laughs> man, okay. We're, we're recording this on National Signing Day. This is going to come out a little bit later, just so everybody knows. Um, and, and we'll talk about National Signing Day here in a minute. We have got to get this off the schedule for you. National signing, early signing period, whatever we're going to call it. Forget the yeah. fact that the whole college football calendar is an absolute cluster. The fact that we don't have a bowl game today because of National Signing Day, I just hope that every – there's too many bowl games. People are sitting there excited and thrilled at the fact that there is not a college football game on their television today that they would have to have been forced to watch between an inferior Mac and Conference USA team. Just I hope they're happy that we don't yes. get that today. Go watch Love Actually. This is your day to do it, you people, okay? I love Love Actually. But still, I, I there's never enough bowl games for me. When it comes to this time of year and things are shutting down, I can't get enough bowl games. I, I, would, I would rather watch a bowl game with the two worst teams in college football 
than watch Love Actually. Uh, I'm just I can't. I love Christmas and I love Christmas movies. I'm I I would I would agree with that with the Christmas Story. Overrated, not me. Also, I would take any bowl game. Over also, that. not uh, I like they found like the two things. I'm gonna get it. all these people who are like, how can you not like well, actually, how can you not love a Christmas story? I'm like, I just I don't like either one. I don't. I don't. I don't, I don't love like actually it. makes me angry, and a Christmas story is overrated. And the fact that like TNT, TBS, whichever of the Turner networks plays it all day for a whole day, just embarrassed. Like, I and guess. love actually, to be fair, is not a good movie. I just yeah. like it. It's not a good, objectively, not a good movie. his friend's wife that he loved, like, how is that a good? That's wild. Uh, uh, Shout out to Milwaukee, though. Good for Milwaukee. (laughs) They deserve that pub. Okay. Uh, We've got some uh, some things to talk about. Obviously, Dave Aranda was retained. Before we get into our our list of topics, I, I have to ask you. I wasn't terribly shocked that he was retained. I'm also wouldn't have been shocked had he been let go after a, frankly, a second disappointing season. Were you shocked, surprised that Dave Aranda was kept around for one more year in Waco? It's a little bit of yes, a little bit of no, but overall, no, I was not surprised that he was retained. And part of that is the the buyout, the undisclosed buyout figure, which we'll never know. Um, with Baylor being a private school, they're 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 never going to tell us that. Um, we've heard figures between ten and fifteen million for that buyout, which of course isn't isn't Jimbo numbers, but that's a lot for a school like Baylor to then tell a coach to scram with that kind of money and then try to find another coach that of of equal ilk to come in and replace him with that with that shortage of cash. So um, every game that went by at the end of the season, I was like. Holy cow, how are they going to keep this guy around, especially that last game against West Virginia? But overall, when thinking about it, quote unquote, reasonably, uh, I was not surprised that that they kept him, even though it might not be the right move, in my opinion. Um, it's I was not surprised. It, it pays to be a nice guy, to be likable, to not be. If you're going to be a jerk really and you're bad. not going to win, <laughs> they're not going to have any problem paying to get rid of you. But when people like you, it's incredible it, it, how far that can go. <laughs> it is. It is. Uh, I want to start by talking a little bit about NIL. Um, it feels like Dave Aranda every year we find out something new that he's learned about. And yeah, I, yeah. I have tried to give him credit for being open and upfront and honest about the things he's learned. Obviously, you you changed offensive corner and offensive line coach after year one. You had to make some changes. Um, and then we praised him for how he handled the quarterback situation. Then we find out they didn't really want to use the transfer portal. So, well, last year they were going to use the transfer portal to their, to their benefit, eh, how it worked, how it didn't. This offseason, it's been the talk about NIL and Baylor not really yeah. utilizing NIL as well as I think most of us thought that either that they were, that they were doing mm-hmm. this. I have been, yeah. I've been told many times by people who cover Baylor that Baylor has more money than you think that they do, despite it being mm-hmm. a, a smaller religious private institution. And so to hear that Baylor's, not really been in the NIL game is a little bit surprising. And the other thing that seems to be a bit mysterious is whose fault that is. Is that Baylor's university? Is that Dave Aranda's lack of interest in it? Is that related to the the collective itself? And then, of course, there's talk of fixing Baylor's NIL, but I don't think we've seen anything truly concrete come out, which is also very NIL. I mean, let's be yeah, honest. We right. don't get yeah. things that are concrete. I'm curious from what from from your perspective and what you know. Do we know whose feet to to lay the blame for Baylor's NIL issues up to this point and what they actually plan to do moving forward to to correct things? Yeah, honestly, I mean, the, 
as you said, kind of in the NIL sphere and the spirit of NIL, it's all very vague. And I would have put the blame just at the athletic department as a whole, or I should say the the football program as a whole, because from what we heard, the men's basketball program has no problem with NIL and, and keeping guys on the roster because of NIL and, and NIL incentives. But what's funny about this is it was totally brought back into the conversation by Dave Aranda. It was, it was him in November who in his press conference was just said, yeah, I don't handle NIL very well and put it on the record that he doesn't like the world of NIL and that he doesn't think players should be getting paid more than other players and trying to value players and all that. And it was, kind of it was kind of a wild day we're like he didn't need to say that he just offered up that he hates nil and doesn't really want to deal with it and to me that was like well then he doesn't want to be a head coach like he just told us he doesn't want to be a head coach in in college football he he would rather be the coordinator doesn't have to get his hands dirty with this kind of thing and so it it was dave aranda saying that and meanwhile, the whole season, Mac Rhodes, the athletic director, is saying, oh, no, it's it's going well. It's going better than you guys think. And you're, you're going to see that on the field in the next two years. Uh, and they said they had the second most spending of anyone in the in the Big 12 when it comes to the NIL space. And it was like, well, who am I supposed to believe here? And then Aranda says that in November. And then Mac comes out again. And, and the Baylor website shows that uh, – that Baylor is number one in NIL in the big 12. That's basically what the graphic said when in reality, it meant that the big 12 was the best in NIL for the conferences in the country. So they had to take that down. So it is a huge game of like, who am I to believe here? Now that said, I talking with some people who are inside the facility, I'm actually on the, the side of the NIL is not that bad at Baylor. Um, hearing what some of these guys who you'll you'll never hear the stadium PA guy call their name, what those guys are making, it's it's really not bad. Um, like it would it would not put them at you know Texas or Oklahoma levels, of course not. But in terms of that base of those those guys who aren't getting much pub and what they're getting money wise from Baylor, um, they, I would see them as like a top half of the Big Twelve kind of spender, just just ballparking it. So uh, it. <laughs> I'll choose to believe that it is getting better and that we will see those results on the field here in the next couple of years. But um, it, it has to go strictly to, in my head, to the football team because of what I've heard about how men's basketball has handled it, how women's basketball has handled it. And then obviously every other sport that's on a smaller scale numbers wise, but it, it's just wild that at any school, even a Kentucky or a Kansas that their basketball team is blowing their football team out of the water when it comes to NIL. So I, I think with, with Dave's candor, like we kind of talked about um, and, and his upfrontness about that, it has to get better because he's a guy that's coaching for his job. So with that, I, I think it's going to get better this year. And I think we might see the seeds of that with some of the guys that have come in, in the transfer portal already this winter. I mean, at worst he's setting it the table better for whoever comes right after right. him to yes. not be in a bad situation and have to fix NIL when, when they arrive. Uh, <laughs> and Baylor, we, we kind of talked about this at the beginning of NIL of, Oh, Baylor's never going to be able to compete. And I don't know that I believe in that anymore. I think TCU's utilized NIL pretty well. And it's the same school as Baylor. I mean, it's all the same kind of resources with a little bit more success, of course, in, in football recently, but uh, it's, it's, 
the same kind of thing. So if you can get your ducks in a row and get a good collective out there, you know, they're never going to be at the level of even a Nebraska, the resources they can put into it, but it should not bury them. NIL should not bury them in the power five. I, I think most power five schools, the more people I talk to, the more interesting NIL becomes because I, I, I think that both from a player and an agent and a collective situation, there's no interest in correcting some of the misunderstandings of this because they're perfectly happy if you think they have a whole lot more money to spend on players than they actually realistically do. Oh, yeah. The more vague, the better. <laughs> they're not going to correct your mistake. That is, And they didn't lie. They didn't tell you that you inferred this or heard this or read right. this on a message board. We didn't correct you. That doesn't make it our error. That's your error for believing that. I think what's going on at A&M and seeing some of the things that the players are coming out and saying should kind of help you understand some realities about NIL that are still going to take a little while to kind of really, let's say, get through the the nonsense that everyone has kind right. of decided to believe in. Uh, okay. Obviously, when you are on the hot seat, many times we see this every time. You one of your uh, final big chips to play is to make moves to the coaching staff. I mean, we see it all the time. Mm-hmm. Guy going into what we expect to be the last year, all of a sudden, you know, many maybe it's the coordinators and staff are, are 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 swapped out for Baylor. It was on the offensive side of the ball. Gone is offensive coordinator Jeff Grimes. He's now the OC at Kansas. Off is offensive line coach Eric Mateos, who's off to Arkansas. Uh, quarterback coach Sean Bell headed to Houston. And uh, running back coach and former associate head coach A.J. Stewart is gone as well. At this point, it seems that Aranda has replaced all of them and, and found his new pieces. From your perspective, um, any moves here, both the guy who left or the guy who's come in to replace him, where you think this was a positive move and any of them where you look at and go, I really wish they'd been able to keep that guy. I'm not sure he was the problem. Well, sure. I mean, when you have the 120th ranked defense in all of college football, the only thing I can think of is to just clean house on the offensive side of the ball, right? Right? No, I do I do really like uh, the Jake Spavadol hire at OC. Um, and I actually was a Jeff Grimes guy. I ended up becoming a Jeff Grimes defender, which I didn't think I would. Uh, but I, I just didn't think he was the issue. And I didn't think, and I thought the style of defense that Dave Aranda should have brought should still be playing well to Jeff Grimes's offense, but that, that side of the ball has failed. And, but bringing in Jake Spavadol, I actually said on locked on Baylor at when they started the search, I thought this is about the best guy you can get here because they kept talking about they wanted a former head coach, a guy who knows the administrative side. And obviously Spavadol does not have a successful tenure as head coach at Texas State for four years, but he has that experience. And everywhere else, everywhere he's gone as an offensive coordinator or a quarterback coach, the success has followed. And looking at the guys he's coached at the quarterback position, man, I mean, it's it's a who's who of college football the last 15 years. It's it's Case Keenum and Brandon Whedon and Johnny Manziel and, and even Davis Webb putting up big numbers at Cal Spavadol's first time there. So I am big on the Spavadol hire. I, I It's not going to make them seven and five or eight and four right away, but he is a, a guy who has proven everywhere he's gone that the offense follows. And I think he can really, he can, you know, he's not going to completely turn around this program but he's a guy who can come in year one and fix things, even with guys that aren't his typical personnel. We saw him do it at Cal last year. The numbers were 
incredible, an incredible jump for Cal in year number one again for Spavadol. They go up nine points a game. They end up rushing almost a hundred yards more a game. It's it's just a, a total night and day difference. And he's a big reason why they go to a bowl game. So in terms of the other side, I don't know that there's one that I was like, darn, I wish they could stay. Um, I kind of felt bad for I felt bad for Jeff Grimes. I didn't think he was the problem. I kind of felt bad for Sean Bell because he's a Bayward guy and his roots through and through. But overall, I, I'm excited about the Spavadol hire. Um, can't say too much more about the other position coaches other than the company line of their great recruiters, which we've heard about the last four years. Uh, but overall, I like giving Spavadol the keys here and letting him run an offense. Yeah, I think it's very exciting. I think he's going to, I think he is, it's interesting to want to come into this position, right? I'm always intrigued by by guys who want to come join a staff that they may not be on. But I think Spavitol's reputation is such that even if it doesn't last here at Baylor, like he'll find himself another job. That's okay. Sure. And I've been Uh, calling it a one-year internship, whoever comes (laughs) here. And you, you kind of hit it on the, at the end there, but it's that perfect style of candidate that Spavadol can come in one year, be successful, and at the very worst, get a better OC job coming out of that. For him, it's 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 low risk, high reward. Uh, maybe he'll even get a, a small time head coaching job out of it. We'll see. Uh, what he did at Texas State, we'll see. Uh, <laughs> Might take some time. Not, Might not, take some time. He won't get one in the state of Texas, I don't think. <laughs> uh, now, there was not a change at, at defensive coordinator. Matt Powell is still there. However, Dave Aranda taking over the play calling on the defensive side. So it's technically not a changing out of coordinator, but you do have someone else who will be calling the plays on yeah. defense. I'm, when you're struggling to get the team where it needs to be, I do have concern if you've said, you know what I need to be doing? I need to be focusing on one of the three side elements of the game. Just, just this one. It is my. It is his background. He's been a very successful defensive coordinator. Um, it was an interesting change last off season to swap out Ron Roberts for Pellage, and and now you're basically doing it again. I'm. This of all the things and moves that are made feels like the most of the desperation moves for Aranda so far this off season. Yeah, absolutely. And, and kind of going back to the intro you had before the last question of this is a coach's last ditch effort when they clean out the coordinators. It always makes me think of Tom Herman before his last season at UT when he replaced everybody. It's a last ditch effort. And he's done that now twice, two years in a row. He's done that, getting rid of the defensive side and now the offensive side. And what sticks out to me um, about this move is, is A, that portion of it. Like he's he's cleaning it out again. And at B, this is something that could have been done in the middle of the season. We see that all the time, all the time. Uh, we saw it at Iowa. You know, I mean, guys will take over play calling duties like that's that's not uncommon. So I just was like, why didn't why didn't this happen in the middle of the season? I know it was a first year defensive coordinator in Powellage, but you did it to him four weeks later. So what's the difference? You know, and and with Aranda in particular, uh, this is like the ultimate, I need to be in control here. Uh, it's everyone else's fault. It's not mine. I'm going to get the play calling in now and it's going to turn around. That's that's the way I see it. Maybe it's a cynical way of seeing it, but for a guy who is, you know, person over player and, and great guy and very upfront, it just seems to have been everyone else's fault over the last couple of years. And this is as desperate as you can get to hanging on to your job of, 
don't worry, Mac Rhodes. It's it's just this guy. He'll come along. He's young. I've got him. How about I call the plays and we'll see how it goes. So I, I hope he can channel what he's done as defensive coordinator because he was. He was a great defensive coordinator. Um, and obviously the, the stints at Wisconsin and, and LSU are the ones that stand out there. I mean, he was leading top 10 defenses year in, year out, top 25 at the worst. So um, hopefully that translates over, but he's also been a head coach for three years now. I don't know if he just steps in and it's an immediately a success right away. But the other problem was they didn't have, they had a bunch of young guys out there this year, which was one of the reasons he kept his job, according to the AD, was that they were they were so young this year. And to me, that was the fault of Dave Aranda. He didn't recruit well, he didn't develop players, and that's why he had a bunch of freshmen and sophomores out there. So hopefully, hopefully he can channel that defensive coordinator success into the play calling duties this year because he's going to need to if he wants to keep coaching here. Youth is an argument you can get away with in year one, maybe year two, or year twelve, right? When you've you've established if you've been good, yeah. Well, if, you, if you're if, well, if you're in a school in year twelve, like you you've probably done you done to, well, to, right? To, so, right. It's not one you do after three of your four seasons or losing seasons, right? When it should be all your guys in the locker room of oh, I don't know why, but we just don't have a bunch of sophomores and juniors that can play. Huh? Wonder why. De- development, um, yeah, we we can save that conversation for yeah. for later. Uh, obviously, along with staff turnover, we have some roster turnover. Not not nearly as much, honestly, as I expected. Just six players from Me Baylor either. have entered into the portal. I it's, I think I expected more, and and you can view that one of two ways. If you love the roster, that's a positive, and these guys will continue to develop and want to be at Baylor. If you don't love the roster, why couldn't you get rid of a few more to bring in some better talented guys? It's it's a double-edged sword depending upon on the viewpoint you want to have on it. Um, of the guys who have entered, and I'm again, the transfer portal stays open until January, so there's still opportunity for guys to enter. And of course, there's a, a second window in the spring uh, where we see guys enter because they don't like what their situation is after spring ball. So I'm of the guys who have entered thus far, are there anywhere you look at and go, Ooh, that was, that was a loss for Baylor. Yeah. And, and it's Drake Dabney for me, uh, the tight end who ends up actually going and committing to TCU, which is just an absolute dagger in the I gotta, heart there. I got I to pause uh, you for a second because here at the 10 yeah. podcast, our policy is we love intra-conference transfers. We love love intra rivalry transfers because it just oh this is the 10 12 sickos here this is this is that this is one thing that i have i have pinned as like no 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 this is this gets the juices flowing this gets the people going how about an intra-conference intra-rivalry and neither team making a bowl game (laughs) is that just like the holy trinity there like i could sit back if he goes to ut which that won't be in the conference obviously but like okay you know that sucks but that's a playoff team. DC didn't even make a bowl, man. Oh, but it, to me, Drake Dabney is going to be the biggest loss. Now, that said, I, I do like their tight end room overall, uh, but I think this guy's going to be playing on Sundays. I think he's going to be an NFL tight end, and uh, he was arguably their best playmaker last year, especially with Monterey Baldwin banged up for a few games. Um, he he was a bright spot of of the offense. Um, I didn't love seeing Blake shape and leave, but I thought that was probably time. And now with Daquan Finn coming in, who I know we'll talk about is, is I think an upgrade there potentially. Um, but yeah, Drake Dabney, seeing him go, that stunk. That stunk, especially to see him go to TCU, but to the point of the, the exodus and what we thought it was going to be, 
I thought so too. In fact, when when Shapen entered the portal, I think he was the first one to put his name in. I said, "Here's here's Max Exodus is coming." Like this, it was the day after they announced they were retaining Aranda, and I said, "Here we go. They're all going to go in now." And they didn't. And I don't know if that's a good or a bad thing. Um, Jake Spavadol used the word attrition, and that there isn't much attrition between the coaching staff and the players, which should be a good thing, right? But when you're on a three and nine team. I think the fans expect, and quite honestly, I think the coaches expect a few more guys to hit the portal. And I don't know who those guys should be or are, you know, so I'm not going to say, well, this guy, this guy, and this guy, but you just expect more to hit the portal. And so that you can bring in some more turnover um, from a locker room that was, that was three and nine. So uh, Dabney was the one that was probably the, the biggest talent loss for Baylor. Uh, you mentioned, you know, Blake Shapin, first one to enter. Mm-hmm. And I think that loss is obviously not nearly as bad when you go and get Daquan Finn from Toledo, who was Mac player of the offensive player of the year, I believe this year. Um, yep. Yeah. Cause it was a uh, Rourke was the offensive player of the year, the year before. That's right. Both were in the portal. Um, but I think this is a great signing for Baylor. I, 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 I don't want to hear about, he paid for a Mac school. Like the, <laughs> okay. He's, the numbers are the numbers, man. Go. If they, you go watch some game tape, good. like yeah. you, Baylor fans should be excited about this guy. He's going to be a lot of fun. So obviously that makes things a lot easier. I mean, you've got a couple other guys who have come in. Daquan Finn is the big get here. I think mm-hmm. to get your guaranteed starting quarterback for one year, because he's got one year. What are your thoughts on him? And then, of course, specifically in Spavadol's offense and what Spavadol likes to run, as well as what are the other areas you think Baylor needs to look in the portal to fill a couple holes? Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Yeah, well, this this Finn signing, I love it to the point where I might have to eat my words, even if he's good, because I am making him out to almost be a Heisman Trophy winner at this point. I mean, I am, <laughs> I am really in on, on the numbers and the tape, and he is, you know, he's not going to be the NFL quarterback, probably not going to be a first-round pick or anything like that, but he has accomplished a lot in the college game, and the, just the gaudy touchdown numbers for a good team in the MAC. I mean, this is back-to-back MAC championship game appearances for Toledo. Like he, he brings that, he elevated that program from being pretty good year in year out to being the top of that conference. And I think he fits perfectly with the kind of offense that Spavadol is going to look to run. And that is, that is a pro style spread, which didn't used to be a term when I was growing up, but they used to be two different things, but they're very much the same. Now a pro style spread offense, which is going to run with some tempo and there aren't aren't as many true true dual threat quarterbacks as people think there are in college football. But Daquan Finn is absolutely one of them, and I just think he's going to be electric in space for a team that that struggled to run the ball this past year. Even though I thought they had plenty of talent in the running back room, and struggled to block pass protection and run blocking. Uh, the, the offensive line needs a huge step up. So anytime a team like that can space it out. That's going to help them a ton. And anytime they have a quarterback who can who can really extend plays with his legs, 
that's going to help even more so. So I love Daquan Finn anyway coming to Baylor, even if it was in a Jeff Grimes offense, but I think it works a lot better with a Jake Spavadol offense. And, and that could be, I, I said he was one of the few guys in the portal that Baylor could go and get and could give them a win or two and add it onto the schedule. Quarterback is that way. Daquan Finn is that kind of quarterback. So that, that was a need um, for sure. I don't think it was the biggest need on the team because I could have saw them rolling with Sawyer Robertson and seeing what he has, um, the sophomore transfer from Mississippi State. But I'm sorry, who transferred in before last year. Uh, but but the positions they still need to look at, both lines, offensive and defensive line. They just brought in the highest rated guard in FCS uh, just just last week. They They got him to sign on. Um, they brought in a nose tackle from junior college, but that's not going to be enough. Uh, they, they have not been able to rush the pass over the last two years after being the best pass rushing team in the big 12 in 2021. Um, and the offensive line has just gotten so much worse. Uh, they allowed more sacks than anybody in the conference this year by the, the, the next closest had seven less sacks allowed. Um, so they were comfortably the worst in that category. Uh, the rushing numbers, have gone down precipitously about a hundred yards in the last two years per game. Uh, so they'll, they'll need help on both lines. They needed help at safety, but they went and got Caden Jenkins, brother Cameron from UNLV. And one that I don't think people are talking about, but is a sexy one to look at is outside receiver. Uh, they have not had playmakers on, on the outside since Taekwon Thornton left in 2021. They've got some, some, some explosive sp- slot guys, uh, but not ones on the outside. I think Keytron Jackson showed some flashes this year. He transferred in from Arkansas last year, but he gets too much attention. Uh, I don't think he's like a dominant X receiver winning every time, that kind of guy. So I, I would love to see them get a tall, lanky burner on the outside who could draw a little bit more attention to that side. We'll, we'll kind of kind of wrap on this. Uh, as you mentioned, signing day. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I ranked all of the school's graphics because I love to do that every year because I shout out to the creatives. They are the yes. unsung heroes. And it's not that the fact that like the fans don't, don't appreciate them. It's they just like, y'all love the work they do. Like right. even during the season, think about how much work it is for like four or five, six people to be cranking out the amount of content they are on a regular basis and to spend in some cases, like I have, I have talked to some creatives at, at schools, like they will start planning for next year's signing day in January. Like yeah. That stuff's already come through the <laughs> process. Like it's not like it's like, well, we'll just we'll come into come in December first. We'll figure it out. Like they are some might do it three weeks before. I don't know. But the ones I talked to, there's a lot of planning. Um I had Baylor's at ten. Of the sixteen teams that will be in, I did not rank Oklahoma and Texas because it's not gonna be the Big Twelve next year, so it doesn't matter. Good on so you. Baylor at number ten. It was it was good. I appreciate the attention yeah, to detail. Fine. I teach you the principal. It was fine. It was good. Um it wasn't the best. It was uh more creative, but I I wish Baylor had done more because with where things are at, Baylor should be trying to build some excitement, giving fans something to feel good about, especially when this is the lowest rated signing class thus far at the high school for for Dave Aranda's tenure. That includes his first year. It is currently ranked by 247 at 65 on on day one of the early signing period. That could go up. Obviously, more transfers are going to impact that, both positively and negatively, based on guys who leave, based on guys who come in. But it's the worst one. And and look, like one of the primary reasons that Holgerson got fired at Houston was because 
that recruiting class for 24 was garbage. They didn't he like was the like, prospects. We're yeah. already done. Like, we can't be worried about this. Weird. Willie Fritz came in and within a week sign improved that recruiting class significantly with high school players. I was led by Dana Holgerson to believe there was nobody left in high school to recruit. Um, but <laughs> this is, this is to me, like, this is the concern you also have of when a guy's in a spot like this. And, and the things we hear about NIL being the things that we hear. And then to have this recruiting class, if you're telling me you keep keeping all these coaches because they're all great recruiters and your class is ranked 65th overall, I have a lot of concern and questions. So my question for you is this. Do we think this class is underrated, fairly rated? I'm not going to say it's overrated at 65. God, I hope it's not overrated <laughs> <Probably> not. <laughs> at 65. Let's say underrated or fairly rated in your mind. Yeah, I'll go to I'll go to slightly underrated, um, but more leaning towards rated. Um, (laughs) It's it's not the depth and breadth of it is is just not terrific. Um, But I I say underrated because I've seen a couple of these kids play uh, quite a bit. I had actually seen Graydon Grimes play quite a bit um, in high school, but he is now off to Kansas um, as that's where his dad is now. Jeff Grimes, the OC there. Uh, but Jaden Porter was one I talked to on signing days, a receiver uh, that played just outside of Waco um, and had committed after his sophomore year. And what he had told me was, was that he was surprised, honestly, but he was very candid about it. He was like, I was surprised at our class and just how many people stuck around, you know, seeing that season go along. We all got other calls. I'm just surprised to see um, how many of these guys are actually sticking around. And that's been, I mean, good that for Baylor that they've been holding on to these guys, but it just doesn't seem like a quantity of guys coming in. And so I, I think it's a little bit underrated just because I've seen a, a few of these guys play in high school, and I think they can be difference makers, not right away, but be difference makers down the line. But, I mean, the proof is in the pudding. Uh, it The recruiting rankings don't win you games on Saturdays, but it does give you a decent idea. And Baylor does not need to be a top 20 recruiting class to to really hit the highs that they have in the last decade because they've never been top 20. But to be this low and to be behind, you know, Iowa, I think is they're behind them, which was not a good year for them, or Colorado, which has not been a good year for them in high school recruiting. So uh it, it's it's not a great look. So I would I would lean towards a little bit underrated, but not by much. Well, and combine that, and by the way, I'll say I'm a fan of Kylan Reed, who's a linebacker in this class, who's a guy that Oklahoma State was on uh, yeah, pretty hard. Yeah. I look, I just, we've kind of teased at it. Like, Baylor, it's not had a great reputation the last few years of developing their players into top guys in the conference. And if you're going to have a class that's rated this low and you're not doing a great, it's fine if it's rated low. Kansas State's off, recruiting classes are never highly ranked, but then Kansas State what? turns them into NFL caliber guys wow. like every year. Um, yeah. Oklahoma State does not recruit at a, a high ranking level. They oh man, it was guys. a disaster last year on signing day. And then the next year they're just in the big 12 championship. Right. So. We, I mean, we talk <laughs> about the turnovers, but whatever. Yeah. Um, but if you're if you're signing low ranked classes and you have a reputation for struggling to develop your guys like that, those two things cannot coexist. You can say our class is underrated because we're going to turn them into five stars. But if they're un- it's underrated and it stays underrated, <laughs> that's Tom Herman level of in- of like yeah, not managing so, a, pro- a program properly. So you're telling me 
that not being good at recruiting and not being good at developing is not a great sign. That is that is not typically a recipe for success. Now, it's if not, it, not going to really ignite the fan base, is it? No, no. Which is probably why you know you know you do nice recruiting day yeah. graphics, but nothing over the top to get everybody uh, paying attention. I guess. And and that is that is Baylor's issue right now. I mean, Dave Aranda was really good at developing Matt Rules guys, um, but has not been great at recruiting his own nor developing his own. It's kind of what I talked about earlier. That's why you had so many freshmen out there this year. And that's great that they're getting experience and everything. But part of that, the flip side of that coin, which is very prevalent is the fact that they weren't talented enough sophomores and juniors to be playing in there or seniors because Dave has not done a great job recruiting them nor developing. And, and one thing I have focused on quite a bit, I, I just talked about Jaden Porter, who's from Lorena in, in this area, but other than that, he has not been able to recruit Central Texas very well at all. Um, and one of the glaring uh, examples of that is Micah Hudson from Lake Belton High School, which is about 45 minutes from Baylor. And five-star kid, right? One of the top recruits in the entire nation, especially at wide receiver. And if I just gave you that information and said, okay, he's not going to Baylor, you'd say, well, of course. I mean, Baylor can't compete with that. That's a kid that's going to UT or A&M or LSU or Ohio State. But he's not. He's going to Tech. He's a kid that's wired differently. He valued. He, I did a whole interview with him earlier in the season. He values relationships and investment in, in, in people rather than just players. And that's all things that we have been told Dave Aranda and Baylor are great at. I don't know if that's true. I think Joey McGuire is great at that, and he was great at that at Baylor, and now he's taking that show on the road to Tech. And so if he can't even recruit his backyard, which in Texas is going to do you do pretty well for you. By the way, one of Micah Hudson's teammates, Selman Bridges, is a four-star corner. He, he didn't have Baylor on the radar either. He went to Arkansas. So I, I'm just thinking of all these kids that I see play high school football around here that don't even get a look from Baylor. And I'm like, well, if we can't recruit Central Texas, and again, not losing out to UT or A&M on all these guys, but if we can't recruit Central Texas, we're going to have a tough time recruiting anything. And that's shown with the 65th ranking. Cam, I appreciate your time, man. Uh, it's going to be a – Baylor is a team I'll be keeping a close eye on. I think anytime you have a team that's heading into a season with a, with a coach on the hot seat, it's a team to watch. Um, and with the turmoil they've had or turnover, turnover. Turnover turmoil. Yes. Yeah, what that it applies. Both, yeah. Tur- yeah. Turnover. <laughs> there we go. We'll just combine the two. That seems like a good there idea. We go. uh, so appreciate your time, man. Do me a favor. Where can everybody check out all the work you do covering the Baylor Bears? Yeah, man. Appreciate that. So we're on Twitter mainly. That's where I'm living. At Locked On Baylor is for the podcast, and we'll try to do some funny tweets from there too. I'm at at Real Cam Stewart. That's S T U A R T. Um, obviously mainly at Baylor, but looking at the big 12 as a whole as well. Um, so you can find us there. I'm also on ESPN 1660 from weekdays from 12 to two. If you guys are here in the central Texas area or want to stream that online, you can do that as well, but that's where you'll find me. And I, I appreciate you, you having me on today. Always love talking the state of big 12 football, no matter what state it's in. I'm, I'm not worried about the state of the big 12. I am worried about the state of Baylor. Hopefully well, yeah, it turns around. That's Texas, by the way. See what I did there? Uh, that's free. That's a free one for you. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. 
PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. NIL is so complicated. <laughs> like, we, we can just address the fact that NIL as a term is not the same as name, image, and likeness. And then you get into the fact that there's collectives and there are what the school does. And so I'm very, I'm trying to learn more. I am. It's, it's a complicated thing to get to the bottom of. And so what better way to do so than by bringing someone on who actually works in this world, specifically from the school side. Hanine Rushwan is the assistant director of NIL at Oklahoma State, and she joins us today on the 1012. Hanan, Hanine, sorry, welcome. <laughs> Thank you. Excited to be on. Uh, I am oh, I'm, crazy. I'm thrilled to. This is a busy time of year for you guys, right? I mean, you got players going into and out of the portal. You're trying to help figure out stuff. The, the, the thing that I have to start with is this. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, and I've, I'm going to go with questions out of order. Like, obviously, we the viewpoint from fans so much of is that NIL is driving so much of the transfer portal, right? We're watching players enter and, and leave and go to this school and choose that yeah. school. And, and it's all, the theory is it's all money-driven, right? Which I, is not accurate. We've, right. we've talked about this with other guests. Like, it's not all about money. That doesn't mean that that isn't, for some, the majority of the reason and for some, a portion of the reason. Yeah. But when it comes to the schools, because there are rules about what the schools are and aren't supposed to do, whether right. they all follow them and whether or not those rules are enforced. So I, I am curious, what what does the sc- role does the school play? Does the NIL department at a university and at the athletic department actually play when it comes to working with the players, the students in regards to NIL? Yeah, so the institutions play a huge part into the overall picture. I think you hit it on the head people tend to think that these student athletes enter the portal because of money reasons. And that's actually far from the truth. Um, The majority of the people that enter the portal, probably the last thing on their mind is money. The first thing is playing time, most likely. Um, From the institution, we kind of, there's so much of a responsibility because like you said, there's so much inaccurate information and from our side, we have to educate these kids, you know, um, especially when you enter kind of into this NIL world there because there's no, like you said, there's restrictions, but they're not really enforced. Right. And there, there's so many different pieces. It's a law for a student athlete to understand. So somebody has to be a resource for them um, so from the institution, you see that we'll do a lot of educational programming. But from my side, especially in here at Oklahoma State, my goal is really to prepare these kids for the next step. Right. So I'm not just looking at these four years that they're going to spend at Oklahoma State or in this college setting, but for the people that are going to go pro afterwards or for the people that are going to go into the workforce, what are the lessons that we can teach them through NIL that they're going to take on afterwards? So as an institution, what you'll see is I'll do a lot of brand building, um, personal branding, content workshops, um, just basic kind of 
taxes, contracts, different things that apply into the NIL world that these student athletes need, not just now, but they're going to need in the future, right? Um, so as an institution, you have to have that programming in place. You have to have it. It's crucial because there's so much inaccurate information. You need to educate your student athletes on if somebody tells you this, that's against the rules. That's a violation. They shouldn't be telling you this, um, which in the area of the portal is unfortunate. Um, but there's so many different pieces that these student athletes need to be prepared for and educated. And as an institution, it's our responsibility to do that. Um, and that's why you see all these NIL departments and programs, because you have to have that piece. These kids have to be educated um, and you have to create programming in a per, like in a department and has to build this out. Um, there's no guide. There's no textbook on how to do this. You have really have to sit there and think of this is what needs to happen. This is what we need to do because of certain circumstances and how we want to prepare these kids. Um, because unfortunately, there's not really a guide on how to do it. So you kind of have to um, make it as you go. But it's extremely crucial. Um, obviously, there's restrictions on what the institution can and can't do. Um, to a certain extent, the institution has obviously the biggest thing really is that we're not negotiating, but everything else is fair game. As long as we're not negotiating something on behalf of the student athlete, that's really the restriction on the institution. But we can really work to once again educate, you know, promote these student athletes, promote our collectives. So there are multiple things that the institution can do as long as they're not crossing the line and negotiating. So you, you you mentioned a lot, and I want to try and touch on everything there. Um, one of them being, you know, obviously when NIL got put into place, you mm -hmm. just said it, there was no guidebook on how to do this. Like we understand what name, image, and likeness is as a term. It is the ability to profit off of your name, image, and likeness. But what that meant in college athletics was so undefined. Everyone's had to figure this out along the way. What yeah. are some of the biggest things you feel like you guys have learned internally over these last few years of just trying to like figuring things, oh, we look at this, we didn't expect this. Oh, like what have been some of the biggest surprises or things that you feel like you guys have learned there at OSU? Yeah, so luckily for me, I started this thing um, being in this space back in like September of 21. So I've really been able to see the evolution of kind of what this space really is. Um, I think the biggest kind of surprise for me was when NIL first was legalized, you know, you really thought it was going to be actual NIL, right? So what you really thought was, it was really just going to be the student athletes being able to profit off their name, image, and likeness. So if somebody were to come sell a jersey of a student athlete, they'd be able to get compensated for that. If somebody were going to sell XYZ of a student athlete, they'd be able to get money. Or if they were going to do an event, they could pay them, which I think should have always been a thing, right? Um, but then what you started to see was kind of the conversation shift into then collectives became a thing, which for me looking back, I would have never expected. Now it kind of makes a little bit more sense. But then you start to see the collective starting to form and then you start to see the space kind of get away from what I like to call real NIL, right? You start to see it shift. You start to see the conversations of now these student athletes becoming employees and all these different proposals and policies start to shift. And you see the landscape shift of at the beginning when I first started, 
these kids were doing what we call true NIL, like businesses being activated, um, them doing events, you know, merchandise, cool, you know, the jerseys. That's what you really saw in the beginning. And then you started to see less and less and it turned into kind of the collective space. And now what you're starting to see is because of everything going on, you've lost the businesses. So that was a shock because it was like it did a flip. And now, you know, the businesses are weary of working with student athletes. So because of everything going on in the media and obviously it's an ever evolving landscape. So that was kind of a shock. But then um, as it keeps growing, obviously, there's a lot of different things in play. Like if you ever would have told me two years ago, the federal government would be involved in this. I kind of would have looked at you funny. Um, because it's like how in what capacity, but that's how much the space really is changing and it will continue to change. Um, so the biggest shocks for me is just seeing the evolution that's kind of happened, but then also it's seeing how much NIL kind of gets demonized, right? Obviously I'm love the space. I work in it every day and I've seen the positives of it. I've really seen how, this space has changed the lives of certain student athletes. I think there's a huge, huge kind of misconception on what this space really is and what it does. And obviously it goes back to the amount of inaccurate information, which is so unfortunate. Um, That really drives kind of the whole feeling on what this space and world looks like. And it's so unfortunate because it's such a positive thing that gets so much negativity around it. And I don't think we spent enough time really touching on the positives. Um, so those are a few things that I feel like kind of internally you kind of have never expected or saw coming, but it's here. The negativity is understandable. I mean, we're dealing with this in everything in yeah. the phase of life, when there is not information, people are going to fill in that hole with assumptions. Yeah. And the assumptions yeah. on things because of a complete lack of transparency on how much kids are actually getting an NIL from collections and how much of it's being used in inducement and <clears throat> how the space works. We, general fans don't know. There are plenty, uh, this is why I'm having this interview. I don't pretend to understand that I understand it. And I think there are plenty of people in the media as well who don't un, really truly understand everything. I think they know some information more than like yeah. most of us do, but you've got to fill in the gap somehow because we, exactly. we just want to understand what, how, what, this, what the role is in recruiting, mm-hmm. in the transfer portal, in in college yeah. athletics, what its role is, and we don't because there is a lack of transparency and understanding, um, and in many ways intentionally, in other ways because I think, as you have said, you're all still figuring this out, and so to give out yeah. some piece of information about one IILs could be completely moot and and not true within a couple of months. Yeah, I mean, it's ever evolving. And back there is a lack of transparency, but there's a lack of transparency because to a certain extent, um, we can't disclose some of what's happening. Um, You know, from an institution standpoint, I can't disclose anything about our student athletes because it's a privacy thing. It's between them, the business and between them and whoever Um, I might know about it. And obviously I have to know about it for compliance reasons and things. But for me to sit out here and say like, oh, yeah, no, this is I can't because, you know, it's not my place to say things, nor is it really kind of to a certain extent. Some of these other businesses and collectives, you won't hear them say anything either, because some of them it's also once again, it's the student athletes NIL, Right. And that's the issue of why you have that lack of transparency. Um, 
and it's hard because like you said people just end up making assumptions about what's actually going on and for the most part it's far from the truth I mean I just saw the interview that Matt Rule did that a quarterback out of the portal will cost you two million and that is far from the truth um which is that's a overly exaggerated number. It's actually kind of funny because the majority of your collectives, that's the budget that they're running out of is that two, three million. So for them to spend that much on a quarterback, it's it's not true, um, which is crazy because from my world, and I'm very connected, I know kind of where everybody's sitting at, you know, and kind of where everybody is, but a quarterback out of the portal is not going to cost you that much. And I think the other piece too, and when you do see numbers, which is the problem, you don't know where those numbers are being come up with because the problem is that you have in this space is let's say for example, I'll use Utah. So if Utah, which keep in mind, all this shouldn't even be depending on the rules and how you look at them. A lot of this is violations that are just blatantly being said, right? Um, so technically NIL is not supposed to be used in recruiting, you know, that's a violation. Does it? Yes, but it's not supposed to be. But let's say, for example, so Utah had the deal in which they gave all of their scholarship players a $60,000 truck, right? So if Utah were to use NIL in recruiting, what they'll come say is, oh, we'll give you an NIL package of, let's say, $100,000. You as a student athlete, you're like, oh, $100,000? Yeah, I'm going there. Cool. What you don't sometimes realize, they're factoring in that $60,000 truck. So in reality, you're only getting like $40,000 maybe liquid in cash and a $60,000 truck, but they told you $100,000. So you believed you were getting $100,000, but that's not really the case. So what you're going to see is some of these numbers aren't really actual like cash that these kids are walking away with. Um, I think I saw something that like Marvin Harrison Jr. What is allegedly has 20 to 25 million in NIL to return to Ohio State. And I'm just like, that's far from the truth. Far. And the issue is, I don't think a lot of people realize collectives aren't operating out of millions, millions dollars of budgets. So to pay these high million dollar amounts for one player on one team, it's not feasible. And we have to understand, and obviously it's hard because of the lack of transparency, some of the numbers you're hearing are far from the truth and they'll never be a reality because at the same time, we understand the space, but this is NIL at the collegiate level. A wide receiver being offered 20, 25 million, what's the incentive to then go pro? We have to keep that level of these kids still have to move on to the next days we can't match the pros you know we can't get up to that level um and it's unfortunate but there's so much so much inaccurate information and a lot of it comes down to the numbers but like you said it's people putting assumptions but I don't think a lot of people realize how these numbers are come up with but then on the flip side of there's a second part of NIL like and I think we talked about this a little bit of directives versus collective and people don't realize there's two types of NIL. So what is the relationship between the university's NIL department 
and the collective because collective is what we all think of when it comes to nil yeah. right um and we've we've tied these because they're tied to universities and most of them right. have one big one you know everyone started with like three four five and they've merged into one oklahoma state had a couple of different ones that are now mostly just yeah. pokes with the purpose so i mean using pokes with the purpose as an example what is the relationship like for the universities and collectives and what's the relationship like with with oklahoma state and pokes with the purpose yeah so there obviously has to be a relationship there because we have to educate them because they're not a part of the institution. They don't know what the rules are. They don't know what recruiting rules are. They don't know what the NIL policy is. They don't know any of this. They're volunteers. And that's the majority of these collectives. You know, they just want to help out their institutions, but we're liable for everything they do. So it's very crucial that you know what they're doing and you know the conversations that they're having and that you're educating them on, hey, you can't be talking to a kid about this. You guys can't be involved in recruiting this way. You can't do this. You know, we have to be there for them to answer their questions and educate them. So we meet with our collective once every two weeks to see what they're, what's going on, if there's anything from our side. So our collective is a Learfield sponsor. So, um, what are the activations that they're doing? How can we amplify them from an institution? So what you'll start to see from us is on our Jumbotron during football games, you saw posts of the purpose, like advertisements to get people to donate. What you'll see is we really push out, like if they just launched a membership program, we'll promote, we'll kind of amplify the things that they're doing because we understand the collective is a fundraising arm. You know, this is the fundraising piece of NIL. It's not all of NIL, but it's the fundraising piece of it. So it's very important that we help them as much as we can and within the rules, um, but really serve as a resource for them to make sure that they understand what they can and can't do. And then also help them in, okay, how can we get the word out more? How can we really put this out there? So it's very crucial to have that relationship with them. And we're lucky all of our people at our collective are amazing. We love working with them. They're all amazing they've been amazing people for us so we don't deal with a lot of problems with them but to say the least that's not everybody's that's not everybody's um situation so i'll ask this as um i'm just gonna ask how does oklahoma state's handling of nil differ in your mind from other universities yeah, so I think it goes back to kind of what our philosophy has been from day one is we wanted to do NIL our way and we wanted to do it the OSU way, which is what you'll see is, like I said, going back to we want to prepare these student athletes, not just for this phase, but for the next and after, you know, they're done playing collegiately. What does that look like? Which you'll see how it differs in our approach. We do a lot more programming and workshops than probably a lot of other schools do. I probably have a workshop every two, three weeks on certain different topics because I really want these kids to be prepared. So we're a lot more hands-on than a lot of other institutions are in the space um, because of that, you know? And it's really important that from my perspective that a student athlete walks out of here knowing how to do something that they previously haven't done, whether it's being able to know what to look for in a contract, you know, on their own, being able to, you know, market themselves, how to reach out to brands, you know, how to reach out to a company, um, being able to do their own taxes, because that's another thing now that a lot of these student athletes have to learn how to do early, you know, mom and dad can't do your taxes anymore. You know, there's so many different things that 
we have to prepare these student athletes for. And I think we've been lucky enough from day one, we've said that our stance, we wanted to do this the right way. So we obviously follow the rules very closely, but we wanted to prepare these student athletes to where, from my perspective, they wouldn't need to hire somebody. If they even go pro, you won't need somebody to keep sitting there looking at a, every single contract you get because you know the words you're supposed to look for. You know what you're not supposed to sign. You know this is what you're wanting. You know what your value is. You know kind of what the deliverables are going to be, and you know how to look for that stuff. So that's why we prepare them. But then also, you know, there's certain things that obviously – are going to change, but then there's certain lessons that can be learned. Um, you're controlling your own business. Your brand is your business. So teaching them over the four years how to run that brand can really help them in the long term. And if, you know, we've had so many student athletes graduate from here who now have a career that they would have never imagined because of what they did in the NIL space and were able to build off of that when they graduated. So it's really how we differ from a lot of different institutions is really we focus on that educational programming a lot more than a lot of other institutions. I, I meant to lead off with this, but I'll get to it now. What is your role? I know that director of NIL, Barry Henson, calls you his uh, his mouse in his pocket. Um, but what what is your role there at Oklahoma State specifically? On, on, on a day-to-day basis, what is it you're doing? You mentioned, you know, doing the educational programs. What else goes into what you have to do? Yeah. So obviously educating the student athletes is a big thing and being a resource there for them for the things that they need but then I also have to educate the public and the local businesses on what they can and can't do and get them to activate in this space so um in a multitude of ways this that can happen whether it's social media or working on flyers and community guides to help you know, activate them working on events. We just had a summit with Learfield and they brought in their sponsors um, and we just kind of educated them on NIL. So that's a big piece of what I do. And then obviously the programming and the workshops, setting that up right now, I'm planning spring programming, what that looks like. Um, Because in the era of the portal, you obviously are continuously bringing in student athletes. They have to, you know, understand what the rules are here and how we do it because it differs from the institutions they're coming from, the high school kids that are moving into this level. Um, So I have to work on that. But then also making sure in this era that, you know, student athletes are meeting their requirements, meaning if they sign a contract, making sure that they're at that date and time and place that they're supposed to be. So it's monitoring, making sure what's going on so I can make sure that everything's happening and nobody's upset if a student athlete doesn't show up or if something happens, making sure that I'm there. Um, So a lot of my day looks like just making sure everything's being coordinated correctly. The student athlete knows where they're supposed to be, what time, the dates, the details, making sure that's all on par and then planning kind of the programming and then making sure at the same time, working with the local businesses, planning out these events. And then as things, as you know, things start to happen kind of in the NCAA world and the federal world and state world, um, making sure I'm staying educated. And if there's something we need to change or if there's something we need to adjust, um, making sure that I'm there as a resource and that we're ahead of that. So like when the NCAA proposal um, came out, obviously was a lot of our student athletes were texting me like, hey, what does this mean for us? Like, what is, what is this? So keeping up with the trends that are going on. So I know how to better assist our student athletes is a really big thing as well. 
Uh, yeah, you you mentioned all the national stuff. Charlie Baker put out the, their proposal about a, a D one plus. One of the things that he also proposed uh, was for any Division one school to be able to opt into school athletic departments doing direct NIL deals with their players. Now that specifically would be as let's say the example that was given was kind of like, hey, now you could put a player's face on a basketball ticket. And they can make a profit off of that. So, so the school starts doing deals with the students. And obviously, yeah. you guys are working constantly to stay up to date on the rules and adapt to new things that are coming out. What are your thoughts on, on that rule implementation of the school actually being able to pay the, the players there? And is that something that OSU, if, if made legal, would look at doing as well? Yeah. So kind of longevity-wise, I think at some point, you know, the institutions need to have more of a hands-on approach to all of this um and this isn't taking away from anything but it's hard you know from our standpoint where our hands are tied from a lot of things that we probably should be involved with I get texts all the time about different things that I'm like whether it's a collective or outside entity and I'm just like it would help if we were able to you know have that power um and, and I actually been in-housed, you know, it makes it so much easier, so much easier. Um, so I think eventually we're going to get to that. I would hope we get to that like space and that, you know, there's um, a proposal that everybody is okay with. And I think all of us are really okay with the institutions want this, you know, I think there's not any NIO director that I've talked to who says, no, we don't want this in-house. Everybody wants that because we work in it every day and we know that it would make everybody's lives so much easier if we were given more power. Um, whether or not that's going to happen, I mean, we all saw the proposal. Um, there's multiple different things that have to happen um, for that to go through. So, we'll see kind of what happens. It's so hard to, you know, predict what's going to happen in this space. Like I said, when I started in 21, I would have never thought collectives would have been a thing. And then not even a few months later is when they started to form. And I was just like, huh? And then, like I said, we never knew the extent to how this thing was going to grow. You ended up getting state laws that were formed. You, the federal government got involved and all these other things. So it's very hard to where this space is going to go but I think definitely what you're going to see in the future is the institutions probably being a lot more involved which makes a lot of sense to, to have something as important as the collectives have become kept separate from the university yeah. so the universities have no no real say or control outside of influence on those like mm -hmm. it, it does and then the the schools being at at risk of being punished for what the collective does exactly. like I just that's I mean, it's kind of like having a, a a kid that you just gave a giant millions of dollars bankroll and a car and they're at another state. And you're like, well, I can't like I'm doing my best to parent like, but you're responsible for whatever happens to them. Exactly. And we're lucky that we've got a great relationship with our collective. But I can tell you there are a bunch of institutions that don't. And there's some collectives that really don't even work with the institution at all um, and keep them out whether they've got, you know, confidentiality or exclusive pieces to their contracts where the institution can't know, there's a lot of those. Or some other institutions that have more than one collective, um, there's a certain institution out there that has five collectives and they're liable for every single one of them. You know, that's the unfortunate piece. And so I think eventually, you know, 
we're going to get to that space in which the institutions are more involved. And like you said, the they're not worried about outside entities um, harming our student athletes, but then also harming the institution. Yeah, it definitely feels like it's something that needs to come. I, I understand why the separation originally existed, but yeah. at this point, that separation is actually more, to me, more dangerous for the schools than keeping them separate from the collectives and exactly. allowing the institutions to have more control over how some of this stuff is done. Is should be a benefit to both the universities and the student athletes that they are caring for. Yeah, the term we like to use is it's very much shark infested waters. And it's unfortunate because it the only people really who shouldn't be harmed that are being harmed are the student athletes. I have seen the worst contracts you could have ever seen. Things that would never fly ever with anybody, you know, and unfortunately that's just kind of the space that we're in because you have too many outside sources you know one of the biggest issues is anybody can be an agent in this space and it's just like joe schmo down the road could be your agent does joe know anything no but he's your agent like there are certain things that just should not be allowed and they would never be allowed in any other capacity but we need to we need to work towards solving that it's like anything new. Um, there are always yeah. kinks and things. Never buy first generation anything. Wait till they work some of the bugs out and people have used them and tested them and hated them. And then by third, fourth generation, we'll get there. And right. look, this thing is ever changing. It is still in its infancy. And so exactly. like, it's it's going to take a little time. But, um, you know, yeah. obviously that role will continue to change. Hanin, you have been awesome and very insightful. Uh, I really yeah. appreciate your time today. If there's one last thing you'd like fans to kind of take away from from NIL, uh, what would that be? Um, don't believe everything you see, unfortunately. Um, I would love to say otherwise, but the numbers that you're hearing are far from the truth. Um, and this is as somebody who's very connected in this space and to a lot of with a lot of other institutions, just not even Oklahoma State. I know pretty much everywhere, a lot of different NIL directors at other institutions. We're all actually very close. Um, we all have a huge group chat. We have multiple group chats, actually. So we talk about this stuff on the regular um, and we find a lot of it so funny because it's like it's far from the truth. But what I want people to understand, NIL is not a bad thing. Um at its core, it really is amazing. And I've seen NIL change the lives of student, like student athletes. You know, some of them are able to help their families back home because of the extra income that they now have. And some are able to start their lives. Um, they're able to propose, they're able to buy a house, you know, they're able to put money to the side for other expenses. It really does change lives. Um, and it really does help. So, if there's one thing that I can tell you guys, it's really don't believe everything you see. And NIL is not a bad thing. You know, like you said, it's just in its infancy space, like space right now. And it's still at the beginning. We haven't even scratched the surface on where this thing can go. So there's obviously going to be some bumps and some hurdles that needs to be fixed and we need to kind of improve. But NIL at its core is really amazing. Um, and we should do everything in our power to be able to support it and really support these student athletes. 
because it really can make a huge, huge difference. And as this space keeps to evolve, those hurdles will go away and then you will look back at it and laugh and be like, oh my God, that was so funny. Um, why was that ever a thing? You know, but that's kind of where it is. But it really is an amazing space. I love being in it and everybody else who works in it. We love being in it and we're in it for the right reasons because we truly do see the impact that this space has been able to have, whether it's monetarily and sometimes it's just educational wise, being able to teach a kid how to do their taxes on their own, that's something that they're going to remember forever. There are lessons that these student athletes are now learning because of NIL that are bigger than what we really realize. I mean, it's because we don't talk about it and it goes back to a lot of that lack of transparency, but there are things that these student athletes are really thriving and learning in this space. Um, that's amazing. So really just don't believe everything you see out there. Um, but hopefully, it, in the next few years, you know, we'll be at a space where we're all going back laughing at some of this stuff. Sports Social Podcast Network.